This episode of Meanwhile on the Farm is dedicated to the humans in El Paso who lost their lives and the lives of loved ones because of a hateful act. This episode is also dedicated to Toni Morrison, who left her earthly body earlier this week. Toni Morrison was a Nobel Prize in Literature recipient who sought to heal the world with her perspectives and storytelling. Hello and welcome to Meanwhile on the Farm. We are in week two of our Back to Basics study where we, in honor of kids everywhere going back to school, are getting back to basics. Typically, we take a current topic and break it down, but through the month of August, we'll be digging into a little bit of history. Like the other episodes, though, I'll still offer action steps on how you can bring immediate change, and I'll give you an example of people who are doing things right with a segment called The Right Stuff. The Back to Basics study is designed to help you figure out why I'm an angry black man. (laughs) It's true, I am. And I should be because the alternative is a silent black man. And we all know it ain't time for that. And maybe I can answer some questions that you've had about some things like, why are people of color the victims of most acts of police brutality? Last week, we learned that that's what the first policing units were set up to do in a slave patrol. And we learned how modern Southern policing units use that system as a blueprint for their centralized municipal units today. We also learned that the term police brutality has been around since the 1800s and that Lincoln and white supremacy held hands. This week, I want to talk to you about something that I touched on in our The Right Stuff story, Black Wall Street. We're all familiar with the term Wall Street, right? It's where business is done. Money, a lot of money, wealth, risks, growth, strategy, basically a place to move about freely. And Black Wall Street, named for black people, was just that. At the top of the 20th century, it was a place thriving in Greenwood of uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, it didn't get very long to be effective because in 1921, a group of angry racists burned the city to the ground. Lesson two, the history of Black Wall Street. Class is now in session. Hello, listeners, and mad props to you for joining me on another episode of Meanwhile on the Farm. I'm your host, Corey. Not that you care, but I'm still in Japan. And I really love it here. Um, Early this week, Japan marked the 74th year since uh, America bombed Hiroshima. It's crazy to me to think at one point this country that I'm sitting in right now fiercely hated the country from which I've come. And it wasn't that long ago, like 74 years isn't that long ago. Now, I've been to different parts of Asia and it's so homogenized. If you're anything other than Asian, like you stand out because it's it's all Asian. And generally, my experiences have been delightful. And not that everyone's tracked the same journey as I. Um, I think I just don't understand that hate. Like, I, I just can't understand. I mean, on both sides. Maybe it's my naivete. And if it is... That's just a place I think I'll hold on to. Like, I will tell someone in a heartbeat that I love them and mean it. And the way I feel about that is if people can hate for no reason, I feel like I should be able to love for, quote, no reason. It's all senseless to me. It's just really senseless. So someone asked me a week ago or so, um, who's my audience for Meanwhile on the Farm? 
my audience is simply people who do not only want to be educated, but people who want to actually get up off their blessed assurance hmm, and do something about putting dents in this world. Good dents, that is. That's who this is for. So if you're connected with someone and you get together and talk, that's great talk. But if it stops there, it's just like reposting or retweeting like so. Not saying that there's anything wrong with that. It's good to get information out there. But what type of information are you getting out there? This ain't for tea and crumpets. I'm not sure what tea and crumpets has to do with anything. I think it's just the idea of sitting around and chatting. (laughs) And hey, listen, I was guilty for a long time, like a very long time. I'll be the first one to admit that. I stayed silent. I didn't say anything. I mean, you've heard me say this before. I thought if I stay silent, people won't know the truth. But if I speak up about it, they'll for sure start to label me as the angry black man. Well, angry black man it is. (laughs) I actually confessed professed that earlier, so that's not news anymore. (laughs) But I just wanted to toss that out, you know, for (sighs) y'all. Okay, let's begin. Black Wall Street. Now, I've known that there was such such thing as Black Wall Street. When I mentioned it last week, it wasn't a new idea or concept, although this idea of a 21st century Black Wall Street is starting. But my friend, Matt Ruiz, who I love with all my heart, oh, stanky ass, sent me a message and said, I think Black Wall Street should be next. Actually, he said, and I'm reading this verbatim, I have a request for the podcast, a rapist on Black Wall Street. It's so fascinating. (laughs) I was like, huh? But then he let me know that he was a victim of that old drunk, drunky name, autocorrect Shilla. <laughs> he meant episode, an episode on Black Wall Street, not a rapist. And um, I had a couple of topics lined up, but his idea kept coming back to me. Um, what with the conversation about reparations that's starting to brew. Y'all still talking about that? Yeah, we is. Uh, anyways, he mentioned it and it stuck. So here we are. And after digging in, I started to lay the groundwork for a script for a feature film. So thanks, Matt. Double E. Double E thanks. Um, As if I didn't have enough to do already. (laughs) So let's dig in, shall we? So Black Wall Street. Black Wall Street was located in Greenwood, which was a historic free colony in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now I know what you're thinking. How all them black people get to Tulsa, Oklahoma? They took wagons, horses, trains, and some just walked. Back in 1889 to 1891, this was almost a quarter of a century after the 13th Amendment abolished slavery. There were these land rushes that were happening and black people wanted in on it. Now, the land rushes took about two million acres, considered some of the best unoccupied land in the United States, and doled it out to about 50,000 people. Now, this went on until 1907 when Oklahoma became a state. For the few out there who are squinting your eyes thinking, what about the natives? I refuse to call them Native Americans because they weren't native to America. Remember when the whites made it illegal for natives to stay in their own land and actually rounded them up and pushed them out and away on foot? Hashtag trail of tears. Well, baby America wasn't done. They saw more land and wanted that too. The natives had moved to Oklahoma and the natives and the blacks became friends. In fact, a lot of the black Americans who traveled to Oklahoma had ancestors that could be traced back to there. Black people were also a part of the tribes, the Creeks, the Seminoles, the Yuki. Because these blacks were adopted by the tribes after the Emancipation Proclamation, see the previous Back to Basics episodes, get more information on what the Emancipation Proclamation actually did or didn't do, they were able to live freely. Now, Oklahoma was one of the only states where blacks could make money 
and spend it because it was illegal for blacks to spend money in white locations. You'll hear that again. Now let's narrow that down. Tulsa was one of the only cities where blacks were allowed to make money and spend it. Jim Crow was like, nah, blacks, we know your money is the same as ours. We don't want you spending it here, but you're definitely invited to our whipping party. As a matter of fact, you're the special guest. <laughs> if you want to know what a whipping party is, it's when a bunch of whites would whip a bunch of blacks for entertainment purposes. This was in a time after they would hang blacks from a tree, take photos and sell them door to door as postcards. Cute, right? Blacks wanting in on the oiling and mining boom that was taking place in Oklahoma is why they moved there. While blacks made a small percentage of Oklahoma, their presence increased to about 12.3% in Tulsa. Of the 32 townships established by black people, 28 were in Oklahoma. It's important to note that back in the day, blacks were only supposed to, quote, help out the colonies to save their necks because they were doing it wrong. And by doing it wrong, I mean developing it wrong. Now, when I say back in the day, I mean like 1619. They knew how to push people out. What they didn't know how to do was sustain. So they said, hey, black people, you're going to help us. You're going to work for free for us for X amount of years. After that time is up, we're going to give you some land and your freedom. Okay. Well, after that time came, blacks didn't see no land or the freedom that they were promised. White men thought, well, they've been working us for free. Why let the labor force go and change their minds? Thus, the continuation of slavery and the breeding of this shitbox of oppression. So we ended up happening is basically black people were pushed out of the nest, so to speak, and expected to fend for themselves with no rights on the land after they became free through the 13th Amendment. Now, that made it very difficult to live. Add that to good old Jim Crow and police oppression, the KKK, segregation, discrimination, not being able to decide who made rules for their lives until 1965, 1965, 1965. And what I mean is getting the right to vote. That's a hell of a lot to have to deal with it all at once. And you wonder why black people are so strong. So blacks having this space to be free and live in Oklahoma was actually a real thing. And it was a super important thing. Now, for many of them, it was the first opportunity they had to even be free, to know what it was like to be a real normal person with some semblance of economic and social success. Now, I think it's pretty cool how one oppressed people group took care of another oppressed people group, like the natives took care of the blacks. I thought that was cool. So what happened to these blacks without the white people? Well, they thrived. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. I know some of y'all might think I don't like white people. I do. Some of my best friends are white people. There's a joke in there. So blacks and natives are all in Tulsa. And Tulsa actually got pretty famous because of how well it was doing. But depending on who you ask, there were two Tulsas. The white side of Tulsa and then the black side of Tulsa, which the whites referred to as Little Africa or Nigger Town. By 1921, about 10,000 blacks had come to Tulsa to live, move, and have their being after being formally organized in 1906, which is when it took the name Greenwood. Now, Greenwood is actually an avenue and was one of the few streets that didn't cross through both black and white neighborhoods. Leave Brittany alone. I don't know why I said that. It made more sense in my head, but it's like, great. We have something for us. It's ours. No need for you to even be over here. We'll do us. Y'all do you. And this black community was sustaining itself. I'm talking like grocery stores, banks, libraries, doctor's offices, lawyers, barbershops, schools, and all that jazz. No pun intended. For all intents and purposes, 
it was one of the most affluent communities and became known as the Black Wall Street or a black structured financial market. Now, I don't think you understand how popping Black Wall Street was. Okay, the average income of black families in the area exceeded what minimum wage was in 2017. That's a lot of money. And as a result of the segregation, a dollar circulated 36 to 100 times and remained in Greenwood for almost a year before leaving. Even more impressive at that time, the state of Oklahoma only had two airports, yet six black families owned their own planes. So when I say black people was popping, they was popping. You know how I said in 1906, Tulsa was formally organized? I have to mention this smooth brother named O.W. Gurley. Hey, hit me over there. His first name had the letters O.W. His last name was Gurley. Hair was slick, black as oil. It was straight and not curly. This brother had more than some money, was a wealthy black man, you see, an entrepreneur at its finest. From sea to shining sea, you see, the sea of Tulsa's black people was so very happy that he was there, his wealthy black man from Arkansas, because he really did care about the state of the black union, you know, he wanted to see him thrive. So he had a plan, this smooth man, Oklahoma land run of 1889. In 1906, he slid on over to be with his dark skinned pals. And he bought 40 acres of good land only to be sold to black boys and black gals. He created a rooming house down there on Greenwood Avenue. And it was named after a Mississippi city and boy, did Greenwood grew. Blacks found refuge in Gurley's rooming from racial persecution from the South. He built three two-story buildings, a farm and a church so people could shout. He really pumped it in there for this black community to live. But I gotta pass the mic to another type, J.B. Stratford, what do you have to give? Well, J.B. from law school came in and was like, O.W., I like what you're doing. Let me help you out in Northern Tulsa and buy some real estate. And while I'm chewing on this idea, let me go ahead and give you another idea. You hear? I'll start subdivisions and sell to blacks so they can keep living without fear. I like that idea, said O.W. Tell you what, let me do the same. And I've met some other black folks who'd really like to be a part of this game. So the two of them pushed on through and made heaps of things happen. Even had hotels for blacks, cause back then white ones wasn't snapping. The Stratford Hotel on Greenwood, largest black owned in the US, with now this whole area popping, I bet you can guess what happened next. White people came in and burned that shit to the ground. The race riots of 1921, more like the Tulsa race massacre. This massacre has been called the single worst incident of racial violence in American history, other than the perpetual oppression, of course. The date was May 30th, 1921. 
this black teenager by the name of Dick Rowland, a shoeshiner, got into an elevator in an office building. At some point after he entered into the elevator, Sarah Page, the elevator operator, white, screamed, and Dick ran. Somebody called the police, and they arrested Rowland the next morning, May 31st. Of course, people talk. Rumors fly all over the place as to what happened into the elevator. It wasn't so black and white. Or actually, it was. He was arrested for sexually assaulting Sarah Page. Some said they heard Page yell, rape. The most common answer was that he stepped onto her foot when he got into the elevator, and that's when she screamed. But the truth didn't matter. There was no evidence, but people were mad. White people were mad. So mad that they were on the steps of the courthouse demanding that the sheriff, quote, hand him over to them. Thing was, the newspaper wanted a nice juicy story, so they printed to lynch a Negro tonight on account of a rape. The sheriff wasn't keen on the idea of handing this young man over and had his men protect Roland. A group of black men, who by the way, fought in World War I to defend America, went to the sheriff to offer their help to guard the teenager. But the sheriff turned them down. After that happened, the white men of Tulsa had their own agenda. They tried to break into the National Guard Armory. They weren't successful. You can imagine what they wanted to do. But black people showed up anyways to prevent something from happening. After a room of a riot, about 75 armed black men came to protect the teenager, but again, they were turned down. One black man in the group was a veteran with a firearm. He was approached by a white man and the white man tried to unarm him. A shot was fired and from there, shit went haywire. Whites were dispatched to trap blacks in the neighborhoods. An unarmed African-American man was murdered in a movie theater. Carloads of armed whites started doing drive-bys and shooting into black residential neighborhoods. Wait, hold up. You mean to tell me that white people was responsible for teaching black people how to do drive-bys because they did it first? I mean, I don't know about all that, but they did do some drive-bys. And loot and destroy over 1,200 homes and destroy a hospital and a library and churches and steal from businesses. They destroyed an entire section of a city. But where were the police? They were giving out instructions. Get a gun and get a nigger. In fact, public officials were handing out guns for the next 18 hours. White men murdered and burned Black Wall Street to the ground. Another standout murder was the murder of A.C. Jackson, who was a renowned black surgeon who was shot after he surrendered to a mob of whites. They were up in arms because they wanted that boy, that boy that was exonerated, that boy against which Sarah did not press charges, to be lynched. The National Guard tried to help, but to no avail. Machines gun were present, and there was some counts of planes attacking and raining bullets on black neighborhoods. 18 hours. 18 hours of organized hate. Now, here is a list of the men who were charged for these murders and arson. Um, I'm sorry, Corey. I, I know you're in the middle of something, but um, I, I didn't hear anything. If you could just um, repeat those, those names. Oh, I know you didn't hear anything because nobody was charged or sent to prison. Well, except for blacks. You know what that communicated? That it's okay to be a racist when you can't get what you want. This is what I mean when I say white privilege. White privilege means burning 35 city blocks to the ground, murdering people, many of whom had their bodies piled up and dumped into unmarked graves, only to be found years later, and nothing happening to you. 
35 city blocks. That's from Times Square to the Upper West. Not so much as a reprimand, not on the municipal level, not on the county level, not on the state level, not even on the federal level. Now, I'd like to take this opportunity to say that this is why Back to Basics is important because of all the mirrors that are in these stories of old. The shit's still happening. It's still happening. Back to the verdict. The all-white jury for the trial of Roland blamed the massacre on the black Tulsans because, you know, we looted our own businesses. We burned our homes to the ground. We murdered our own people. The media painted the Tulsa blacks as this wild group of people who were bad niggers who drank booze, took dope, and ran around with guns. This actually lined right up with white politicians at the time who claimed that blacks in general were predisposed to crime and were in need of social control. I say politicians back then, but I mean, let's be real. Let the record show that the Tulsa World newspaper said that the KKK should come in and restore order. Now we know what that means, don't we? The kicker is that blacks, if they hadn't been murdered or fled, were arrested and held in detention camps. And then the white people got scared again. What if they plot a revenge or a counterattack? White people always have the brilliant ideas. Okay, so here's what they came up with. Blacks in custody would be released, but they had to get a green card, which only was required if a white employer had promised to keep their employee inside. Sounds like the Unconstitutional Negro Siemens Act. If you don't know what that is, go back and listen to episode eight. Now, what happened to O.W.? Two rumors. The first is that he was lynched by the white mob. The second was that he got the heck out of Dodge and moved to California. Either way, he disappeared. Damages were at or above 39 million by today's standards. Well, what happened after that? Black people did what they do. Within days, they started the process of rebuilding. And they tried. Boy, did they try. But it was never the same. How does a person bounce back from that with zero help? Well, I won't say zero. The Red Cross did hang around for a couple months. Imagine the fear and discouragement. About nine to 10,000 blacks were left homeless and winter was coming. Not like your Game of Thrones show, no, like actual winter, like cold and snow, shit like that. And they spent it in tents. Ever spent a couple of winters in a tent? Not a week, not two weeks, two whole winters in a tent. It was suggested that reparations be given to blacks for the loss. Still hasn't happened. And that's a conversation that's reentering the view right now. Literally, they're talking about it again, even though the state of Oklahoma dismissed a lawsuit saying that it happened too long ago for anything to be done now. Now, I read a lot. I research a lot. And there are many forums by blacks and whites that say that blacks are impoverished and poor and dangerous because we want to be. OK, I see your it's a choice for you to respond that way. And I raise you a historic pattern. In the early days of America, blacks were not treated as human. Blacks were treated as animals and children. Now, let's just take the example of Black Wall Street. Let's imagine that this fire never happened, that the murders never happened. Let's just say that whites lived and let live. Let's say that Tulsa continued to thrive and blossom and grow and blacks were given old money to build businesses and thriving neighborhoods. Let's just say that black business owners from then taught their children how to be black business owners and passed down those black businesses to their children and they passed it down to their children. Let's just say that happened. Let's just say that slave patrols didn't exist and we received our freedom and land as initially promised to us. Here's the thing. Yes, blacks need to change their mindset, but we can't glaze over the blaring situations and instances that equipped us with that mindset. There's a lot of black trauma in the black community that needs to be undone. 
I mean, we can get into an entire conversation about mental health and how it's not talked about in the black community and how if it is talked about, it's for rich white people. But it doesn't change the fact that something needs to be fixed just based on what happened on Black Wall Street. Like, that's devastating. And here's the thing. We're still recovering from that. There's still economic gaps and racial healing that needs to happen from that one experience. After the whole thing happened, nobody even talked about it for years. Blacks are whites. They just let it go. I mean, heck, for more than just that experience, centuries to undo. Centuries. So, yes, we need to talk about it. We need black people in the conversation. We need white people in on the conversation. I've heard plenty of white people say, well, I didn't own slaves. Well, you know what? For all intents and purposes, I'm not a slave. And yet here we are with all this mess to clean up. Let me put it this way. If you inherited a business from your grandfather and it was a mess, okay, it's your business and it's a mess. You have two options. You can continue to let it be a mess and go, well, I'm reaping the benefits, so we're good. Or you could try to make things functional again. You can get the train back on the tracks to make your business strive even more. No, it wasn't your fault that the business did what it did, but you could take on that mantle of responsibility to take things to the next level unless you're just too lazy and too involved in your own privilege. I said what I said because that's where we are right now. Now, by the time Greenwood was restored, it was the 1940s and blacks had other places that they could spend their money. It was no longer illegal for them to buy from white businesses. Desegregation meant that whites could come in and there weren't many black businesses left. Buildings were torn down and replaced. Insurance companies wanted to label the whole thing a riot, which meant that the two sides were fighting one another, which meant that they didn't have to pay. Really, the socioeconomic progress of African-Americans on Black Wall Street threatened the power structure of white-dominated American capitalism. That's really what that was all about. Yes, you in the back. What is terrorism? Oh, um, terrorism is the unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians, in the pursuit of political aims. Okay, thank you. That, that's all you wanted? Yeah, that's all. Okay. Well, I'm going to get back to this. Um, I want to give an example of another Black Wall Street. There was another Black Wall Street in Durham, North Carolina in the late 1800s, early 1900s. It was a four-block district on Parrish Street. The difference, um, North Carolina actually had some white support. There was a wealthy white family, the Duke family, who got in their fortune from establishing uh, Durham as the tobacco capital of the world. Now, the Duke family was opposed to slavery in the Civil War and believed that economic progress shouldn't be disfigured by skin color. There was a very positive relationship between the Duke family and black entrepreneurs. This made it possible for direct capital flow from the white economic sphere to the black economic sphere. The whites around saw more blacks in the labor force and they felt threatened. There's that theme again. It didn't help that the Duke family tripled their black employment numbers, but whites were mad and they attacked the stores on Black Wall Street in Durham. It wasn't as severe as Tulsa, but a group of whites did burn down an office. But it didn't stop this community. It continued to thrive, mostly due to banking and blacks taking advantage of the free enterprise system. But with the civil rights movement in the 1960s, urban renewal removed a lot of Durham's Black Wall Street and the desegregation of black and white businesses started to take place. Now, the area still continued to thrive, and today that area is at the center of a downtown revitalization. Now, let me talk to black people here. We are living in a time where we have a lot more going for us now than they did then. They were able to thrive. They were able to buy up neighborhoods and create a self-sustaining economy. How much more are we able to do that today? I know 
that a lot of black people have ideas for businesses and can think of any excuse as to why you don't step up and make that happen. Listen, you owe it to your ancestors. Yes, it's true that it won't be easy, but you have to accept that that's going to be a part of it. It's going to take work. So here are three things that you can do, and they all involve supporting black businesses. But how can I find these black businesses? Glad you asked, Keisha. Number one, officialblackwallstreet.com. Sign up for their email list or download that app. App? Yes, app. Education test prep, wigs, skincare, it's all on there. Download the app and find a black business. Number two, download another app called Black Nation. From accessories to apparel to authors to attorneys, you tap what you need and the information is there. Websites, telephone numbers, locations, all of it is right there. And number three, if you're a black person who has an idea for a business and you need help, visit blackupstart.com. Didn't you talk about that last week? Yes, I did. Get up off your duff and look them up. It's a, um, a pop-up course that teaches you how to be a black entrepreneur and how to uh, expand your business, etc. It's scary. I know. Do it. I believe in you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I really do believe in you. And the fact is, you have a lot of people alive and dead who really want to see you succeed and they really want to see you grow and they really want to see you change the world for the better. And I get that it's scary. Listen, it's never easy to step outside of your comfort zone. It's never easy to go forth and do something that is unfamiliar. But I feel like, and I've heard this before, and I'm probably going to mess it up, but if you want to go to a place you've never gone, you have to do something that you've never done. I think that's how it goes. One way or another, it means get up and do something about it. And as long as you are of mind and spirit, you can do it. So that's our Back to Basics lesson on Black Wall Street. And now it's time for some right stuff. Okay, so today's The Right Stuff story actually isn't a story. It's a, another call to action. I know, I bamboozled you, and I'm not sorry about it. Um, this is coming to uh, you in light of the El Paso mass shooting. Um, we always post consistently things about no more thoughts and prayers, you know, action and change and, and other memes like that. Um, but it starts with us, actually. So... I posted this on the Meanwhile on the Farm Instagram a few days ago, but I'm going to say it here. Um, there are things that you can do, or there's something that you can do in order to help bring about that change so you don't just end up posting. Um, so this is your form of, of action. The first thing you do is you need to find your elected official. Now, elected official means that you chose them. You voted them in, or we did. The way you find your elected official is that you go to www.usa.gov forward slash elected dash officials. This is on the Meanwhile on the Farm page. I wonder if there's ever going to come a time when we stop saying www. Because we all know it's www, right? Uh, anyway, uh, so that's the first step. Find your elected official. Step number two, call them. Once you get the number, call them. For those of you who don't like talking on the phone, get over it. <laughs> I had to. I hate talking on the phone. The script is, hello, my name is Corey, and I live in Los Angeles, California, and I'm calling because I want, insert name a rep, to strongly push for support for expanded background checks on all gun sales, the reinstatement of the federal ban on all assault weapons, and making private gun sales illegal. Thank you, and I appreciate you passing this along. That was what, maybe like seven seconds, maybe? 
eight seconds, ten seconds. Um, so that's something that you can do. For those people that are willing, you can actually call the White House. Call them up. Call them up and tell them what you want. 202-456-1414 or 202-456-1111. That's for those people who are sitting and uh, have pinned nearby. But if you don't, go to the Meanwhile on the Farm Instagram page. We can mobilize a new movement. We can actually evoke change, but we have to actually do something. So that's your The Right Stuff story for today. You, you're a part of The Right Stuff story today. And that's lesson two in our Back to Basics section, Black Wall Street. Did you learn anything? I hope you did. Next week, we're getting into some more history. This has been Meanwhile on the Farm, and I have enjoyed taking you on this little journey with me. Hey, if you have any questions or concerns, hit me up at Corey at MeanwhileOnTheFarm.com. Or you can hit me up on the IG page, meanwhile.on.the.farm. If you aren't subscribed to Meanwhile on the Farm, why the heck not? It takes two seconds. And it takes two seconds to rate this podcast as well. I would love it if you could actually share this podcast with someone. Someone you work with. Think about someone you work with who you be texting anyways and drop them a link to the trailer. And if they're a SoundCloud person, let them know I'm on their SoundCloud as well. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and a few more, I am there. Listen, if you're looking for a place to put $4 a month, (laughs) consider becoming a sponsor for Meanwhile on the Farm. There's no pressure, though. I currently have zero sponsors, and we're in episode 10. So there's that. Hashtag blessed. Again, I'm Corey. This has been Meanwhile on the Farm, and I think it's dope that you spend time with me today. It's good to be aware of the things and people around you, but know that awareness isn't always convenient or comfortable doesn't mean you should give up on it though and remember if you're silent it speaks volumes peace <laughs>